You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 378, How Did Jesus Develop Leaders? You know, when Jesus began his public ministry, he handpicked a group of people to follow him. And most people are familiar with the 12 disciples. The reality is Jesus had a a bigger group of disciples than that. These, These 12 became the apostles, the the leaders, the founders of the early church, of course. But there were many, many more disciples than that. In fact, the 12 were pulled out of a much larger group. In fact, this group even included a number of women. Now, this will blow some people's theology, but the reality is Jesus actually had women as part of his disciples. The 12 were like I say, were taken out of a larger group, and they became the key leaders. These were the, the 12 were the ones who carried the weight of Jesus' message. Uh, they led in the early church. They were responsible for making sure the gospel was spread throughout the Roman Empire. And as we know, all of them, obviously uh, Judas Iscariot killed himself, but um, of the other 11 and then the Matthias who was chosen in Acts 1, all of them met very brutal, violent deaths for their faith, with the exception, probably, of John the uh, John the Apostle. Um, it appears he died of natural causes, the only one. So, where are we going with this? Um, you know, when we talk about leadership, Jesus is one of the most um, esteemed and premier leaders in history. Uh, what, whether or not you believe he was the Son of God, that's that's an important question. Whether or not you believe he's the only way to God, that is an important question. But just looking at the idea of leadership, the fact that Jesus, who lived in a very rural, backwoods community of the Roman Empire, um, you know, Palestine, Israel, uh, even in in, in the region of of Galilee and the village of Nazareth, these weren't, uh, you know, household names. And yet Jesus came from that environment, um, not well-educated, and yet he changed the world, not just because of what he did. Obviously, that was uh, a huge, huge part of what happened. Um, But when you look at the salvation story, but it was the men and women he chose after him to take the message who who really took the gospel into the rest of the world. So I want to just talk a little bit about how Jesus trained and developed his followers. First of all, first of all, Jesus allowed them to observe him at work. Um, this is important because I think sometimes as leaders, we think that our words are what's really, really important. We think that if I tell my subordinate this, that that's what they're going to do. However, if I'm doing something different, 
that subordinate's typically going to do what I do and not what I say. And I can't be surprised if that's the case. If I'm not doing what I tell them to do, how can I be surprised that they're not listening to me? So, so Jesus allowed his disciples to, to observe him at work, and they were with him. Um, well, in, in a very real sense, 24-7, it appears that there was a group that was with Jesus all the time. Um, that was part of the rabbi and disciple relationship, that they, they did life together. And so they were with him as he taught. They were with him as he performed miracles. Um, there were occasions when Jesus had taught, and even then the disciples might not understand what he was talking about, and they would come and Jesus would break it down for them. He'd explain the parables. He would explain the teaching so that they could understand. Um, it, there, there's indication in the Gospels that Jesus would very often pull aside with his disciples and have just some time with them to listen to them, to answer their questions, to um, discuss what he had done. So, so they watched him as he taught and as he performed miracles. And, um, you know, this turned out to be really a very key component of the, the, the way Jesus developed leaders. In fact, when you read the Acts of the Apostles, you see Peter um, especially performing miracles in the same way that Jesus performed miracles. Um, it's quite fascinating. You ought to take a look and see um, what Peter did in Acts and then look at what Jesus did, and you'll see that it's very, very similar in how they did things. And because Jesus' followers would be expected to perform the same types of things, and he that was, that was very obvious in the expectations, he sent them out to heal. He sent them out to uh, set people free from evil spirits. He sent them out to teach and to preach. Um, he let them observe uh, he let them observe him doing all these types of things. And almost every occasion, Jesus had people with him when he did some type of miraculous sign. There are very, very few places in the New Testament where you see, or in the Gospels, where you see Jesus performing a miracle where some of his disciples were not with him. Now, there were times when he limited the number. There were times when he restricted the number. Um, if you remember the healing of Jairus' daughter, he only took... Uh, Peter, James, and John inside the bedroom where the dead girl lay, and Jesus raised her from the dead. Um, why didn't he take all of them in there? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I tend to think um, Jesus wanted the, the, the those in his inner circle um, who were uh, the strongest in the faith. Um, you know, God works in an atmosphere of faith, and, you know, maybe that was Jesus felt more comfortable taking them in there. I don't know. But there were usually disciples there. Um, in the case of the miraculous feedings, um, in one case he had, uh, you know, 5,000 people and fed over 5,000 people. Another time he fed over 4,000. And there he actually let um, his, his disciples be a part of what was happening. They were actually part of the process of feeding these huge groups of people with very limited resources. So they saw the miracle firsthand as they participated. So uh, Mark 6.41 actually tells us that the food was multiplied as Jesus gave it to the disciples and they distributed it to the crowd. So Jesus allowed his disciples to, to be there. He allowed them to observe, to watch, and even in some cases to participate in the miracle itself.
right back. I just wanted to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, New Testament Snapshots. New Testament Snapshots explores uh, the lives and ministries of some of the lesser-known people in the New Testament. Uh, You know, the thing about a picture, the thing about a snapshot is it captures a moment in time. When you look at a snapshot of a vacation or a trip you've taken or just time with family or friends, it, it immediately can take you back to the memory of that time. It takes you back. There's a story to go with every snapshot. And so in the New Testament, there's some people, both men and women, who we see a little bit of. We, we, we get just a hint, but we don't know the whole story. But there's enough information there that if we're willing to dig just a little bit, we can put a snapshot together of that person's life and ministry. So check out New Testament snapshots. Click on the link on Amazon. You can read the first chapter or two for free. I know you'll enjoy it, and by all means, get click the buy button because um, I would love you to have a copy of it, and, and, I, and I like eating, so no, I'm just kidding. But uh, seriously, check it out. I think you'd enjoy it. It's great for individual Bible study and for group Bible study. All right, well, the second way, the second way that Jesus developed his followers and trained his followers was that after they had been with him for a while, watching him work, he sent them out on short ministry trips. Now, these trips were great opportunities for for the disciples to get real ministry experience while spreading the gospel message. And you remember Jesus would say, I think it says in Luke 10, he said, you know, all right, look, go ahead, go out and pray for people to get better. I'm giving you power to to, to heal. Um, Set people free from demons and, and preach the gospel. And this is incredible because these were people like us. They were ordinary people. The idea of praying for people that are sick, when's the last time you did that? Um, I'm fortunate because I'm in a church where we pray for people that are sick all the time, and sometimes we even see them get healed. It's pretty amazing. But, but you know, you have to step out and do that. That, that requires faith. It, it, it requires a level of um, even uncertainty and being uncomfortable. But, but they did. They went out because they had seen Jesus doing it. And so, This was such an opportunity for them to participate in Jesus' ministry. And he didn't do this after the first couple of weeks of ministry. They had been with him. They had heard him teach, preach. They had watched him do miracles. They had participated in those miracles, as we just talked about. But now it was their turn. And they don't have the safety net of having Jesus with them now. Now they're on their own, uh, relying on each other, but especially relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. So... You know, there was one occasion where Jesus sent out that large group of 72 of his followers for a ministry trip. They were paired up. They went into villages and cities that Jesus was planning on visiting. And after being there, after going into these villages, after preaching and teaching and healing and casting out evil spirits, just like Jesus had done, they were thrilled. I mean, you would be, I would be. I mean, they did what they had seen Jesus do. And can I just say that Things haven't changed. We're, we're still expected to do what Jesus did. Um, it might not be something you hear every day, but that is, is still the, the, the hope of the gospel that, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do because I'm going to the Father. So they had this opportunity and they came back and, and they had a meeting with Jesus and they debriefed and they talked about everything that they had done and all the cool things they had seen and the fact that they had been able to cast out spirits was 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 an amazing thing. You know, it's not something we think about too much today, but having 
spent a, a huge, huge amount of time on the mission field in third world countries, it's a, it's a, it's a reality there. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon at all to see people that are possessed by evil spirits and um, to be able to pray for them and see them get healed. But Jesus used this as a teaching point. They were so excited, but he said, don't rejoice just because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. And really, that is the, the most amazing thing. I mean, it's cool that the demons are subject to us, but that's really not that big a deal. The name of Jesus, they're subject, not anything we do. <clears throat> so, so Jesus said, look, be excited that your names are written in heaven. That is the most important thing. All right, so one more, one more. Um, but we've talked about, just a quick recap, we've talked about Jesus trained his followers by allowing them to observe him to work at, the, at work and also participating in the miracle often. The second way was that he, he, he sent them out. He, he gave them responsibility. Um, and giving people responsibility is a, is a very, very important thing in leadership. Um, trusting people, even when they might not be ready yet, um, you'll know, and obviously we're not going to give them, we're not going to set people up for failure, but those that we're training, those that we're developing, we have to begin giving them responsibility if we want them to lead effectively. And then the last way <clears throat> that Jesus trained his followers was that he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of them. Now this is kind of the X factor of leadership. You know, we can talk about modeling, we can talk about um, letting people participate. We can talk about giving people responsibility. Those are, those are things that you'll find in most leadership and management books. But now we're talking about the Holy Spirit, this mystical aspect of Christian leadership. And when Jesus left the earth, he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside his followers. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come and lead them into all truth and that he would continue to teach them through the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, when you read the book of Acts, we see this. Um, we see it in the early church as Christ's followers began to do the exact same things they had seen Jesus do. That's why I think we, 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 we're today, it, in, in so many circles of Christianity, we live powerless lives because we've forgotten the fact that God wants to do the same things <clears throat> that He's always done. And so, in the early church, we see those guys praying for people that were sick, we see them setting people free. We see them performing miracles because of the power of Jesus inside of them. And, of course, there was trial and error. Of course, they made mistakes. They didn't get it right, just like we don't. They're, they're, they're people. They, they messed up. Um, but as the early Christians prayed for guidance and stepped out in faith, the Holy Spirit directed their steps. A really good example of this was probably one of the, the biggest conflicts in Christianity, in history. This is in Acts 15. The church was faced with a major decision. It was a decision that was going to affect every succeeding generation of Christians. Do we require non-Jews who want to become Christians, they want to become followers of Jesus, do we require them to be circumcised if they're men and to keep the Jewish law? In other words, do they have to become Jews first before they can become Christians? And today, 2,000 years later, we think, well, gosh, that's, that's stupid. Why would we do that? This was a major, major issue in the early church. In fact, it had the potential to destroy 
Christianity. It to have the potential to destroy the growth of Christianity among those who were not Jewish. So, so the question is, um, what are we going to do? And after some spirited debate between Paul, Barnabas, Peter, and some of the other leaders in the early church versus these legalistic brothers who, who, who believed that only people who became Jews first could become Christians, after some spirited debate in Paul and Barnabas and Peter talking about their own experiences of ministry among those who were non-Jews, it was decided not to make it difficult on the non-Jews who were turning to Christ. Thank God. Salvation by faith through grace was the message that the early Christians proclaimed, and it's been passed down through the centuries. That has um, <clears throat> been codified into our theology because it's what's in the Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me, James, the, the brother of Jesus who, who, who became a follower and um, after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he became really one of the pillars of the early church um, and one of the leaders. He wrote a letter to non-Jews explaining the decision because they're, they're waiting. What's going to happen? Um, you, you know, Are they going to make it easy for us to follow Jesus or are they going to make it hard for us to follow Jesus? And James wrote this letter and he, he asked them to observe a few minor dietary restrictions that, that would just allow them to have easier fellowship with Jewish Christians. But the, the, the main thing was, and this, this, this line just resonates throughout eternity. It says, James says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to place an unnecessary burden on those who are turning to Christ. Isn't that interesting? What a, what a statement for a man to make. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And that's essentially what you see happening uh, throughout church history. Men and women trying to do the right thing. They pray for guidance, and sometimes they get it right, sometimes they don't. But ultimately, it's us trying to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and, and, and sense what He wants us to do. And that's a, a really key element of, of, of learning to be the Christian leader that God has called us to be. We don't have Jesus here with us to model things. We don't have Jesus here to let us participate. We don't have Jesus here to send us out on trips, but we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and we, we have the community of the church that we live in to, to grow and to help us develop as leaders. So there was a conscious sense that the leaders of the church were being led by the Holy Spirit and acting in concert with God's plan. And thankfully, we, we still have access to the Holy Spirit. Um, what an amazing thing. The church, however, is led by people, and the pattern that Jesus left was a Spirit-filled, Spirit-equipped group of people who continue to learn from their leaders, and they learn from their leaders, they learn from each other, and of course we learn from the Holy Spirit. So that's all working in unison together. So I would just ask you this question. How can we utilize these three methods in training leaders today? The method of showing and letting them participate. The method of giving responsibility sending them out, letting them do things. Um, how are they going to do? Give them that responsibility and let's see what happens. And then the third thing is developing that relationship with the Holy Spirit and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to know that we really are doing what God wants us to do. Well, I'm going to stop there. 
I'd love to hear from you. Uh, go to davidspell.com, leave a question or a comment in the comment section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. And by all means, click on the resource highlight, New Testament Snapshots, and grab your copy today. Well, friends, thanks for being with me, and I will see you next week on Leading and Learning.